Why does that stay that way? I don't helps there we are uh, you might turn it down or it's kind of weird it's got that I don't know like I'm like I'm in a tunnel somehow you know yeah echoey see if you can help get some of that echo out of there um, while he's working on that I'll the passage so look in Genesis chapter 39 we're going to start in verse 1 I don't know if I love all the stories in the Bible, but you know how there's some of them that just melt my heart more than others. And I know it's shared, you guys share that way in different times yourselves. Genesis 39, the story of Joseph, if you're familiar with it, it seems uh, there's nothing that stands out more to... It doesn't answer sometimes the struggles, but it highlights the things we don't have answers for, and shows us that God is sovereign. It really reveals to us how sovereign God is. And it kind of, if, if you're careful, you'll take the story of Joseph and you'll own it. You'll own that story because in there is, in a sense, our own lives. There's something that God is doing in our lives and that sometimes we have what we would consider to be roadblocks, but when you get to see all of it undone, when you get to see the fold, that God unfold His plan over your lifetime, I think when we read the story of Joseph, one of the things God is trying to say to us is, you don't need to know what the end is going to look like to know it's going to be good. You don't have to know to know it's going to be good. So don't let things discourage you along the way. Don't get discouraged along that path. Powerfully, the Lord wants to show Himself through our lives in His same favor in different ways. Let's read this verse together. Now Joseph had taken down, was, sorry, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. His brothers had sold him as a slave, and he's, <laughs> he's just one of 12 sons of Jacob. And Jacob has this special favor to show to Joseph, and he makes him a coat of many colors. And the kind of love that his brothers watched Jacob give to Joseph was something they wanted to own from themselves, and they become envious and jealous of, Jake, of Joseph. And now they had gone off, and Jacob had sent Joseph to go find them, and then uh, Joseph finds them, and all the more they're infuriated at the sight of Joseph, and then they decide, they think they're going to kill him, but they throw him into a pit, and it just happens to be that a team of Ishmaelites, whoever they were, 
happened to be going by and there were just the right kind of people at the right kind of time to, you know what, let's just alter the way we were thinking. We hate our brother, we're envious against him, but instead of us killing him, let's just sell him off as a slave. So they sold him and then he ended up in Egypt and this is where our story begins. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Joseph at this point was looking at a lifetime commitment to Egypt. Like it or not, this is where you are. This is where you're going to be. Most of us in... We see ourselves in some sense and maybe in different paths in life, see something of our life in Joseph. How did I land here? How did I get here? Why am I here? And all these questions seem to plague humanity all around us. And we're trying to figure out what is the purpose of my life? And it's even harder when you've gone through painful difficulties based on your own bad decisions. But this isn't Joseph's bad decision that landed him. But I want you to hear this from me. I don't think it matters when you find God in Egypt. When you find God in your Egypt, it doesn't matter how you got there. and It doesn't matter what's the outcome of getting you there. It's the fact that God is the overseer over our lives. And then I love this verse in in verse 4. I want you to catch this. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. I want, you to, I want you to see that. And he served him. Then he made him overseer of his house. and All that he had, he put under his authority. Joseph was bought as a slave, but he lived as a servant. Now, I can speak a little bit, what I feel like from my own perspective, a little bit of this. Um, when I lived in Walla Walla, and I've shared some of you working at the salvage yard and working for an old man who had, he had, he had lived through the Great Depression. And not only did he live through the Great Depression, but he knew how to work by hand and he worked hard. Machines were kind of out of the picture at some point in his life. And he had, he was one of the few businesses, I guess, having metal and all of that, was the few that actually survived kind of during the Great Depression. But it wasn't that it wasn't hard. And there was something about, how would I say, the atmosphere, the aroma of him that made you feel like there's something that I can't quite relate to and I'm not going to know exactly what it's like. But I'm glad I got to have the flavor, (laughs) if I can say it that way. I got the flavor of him in my life. But I remember as a young man feeling like I hated going to work there. In the summer times in Walla Walla, it could be 100 or more degrees. And not only that, but we found a way to make it a little bit hotter in the kind of work that we had. And it was just miserable. But it wasn't the misery of the heat that got to me. Sometimes it was the misery of how he talked to me. The day that he got mad at me, and see, I was was a teenager. And I will admit, I just was dumb, and I didn't know much of anything. And it was hard for me because I saw an old man that didn't have the patience for a teenager, and I had to ask myself the question, well, how am I even here? How did I land here, and what are you doing putting up with me? Because I obviously don't fit the bill. I remember one time 
him saying after a job that we had just, I thought we had finished, um, I remember him saying, you know what, I don't have anything else for you. Go home. I'm not out here to change diapers. That's his view of us. We were too young. We didn't know anything, and it wasn't worth the time to teach us. And I remember feeling like day in and day out, and the longer I worked there, the harder it was. And I was a Christian. I was trying to find my peace with God. I was trying to figure out, Lord, what are you doing with me in the middle of this? And I'm going to tell you something that I seem to find more, it's harder and harder to find it, but I find Christians struggling to serve someone. Someone difficult. Someone that it's hard to be under. Someone that it's, why is that? Because of my pride. And I'm going to tell you one of the things for me, and I would say out of all my years, and I worked for him probably about 10 years, but three years, three or four years of full-time work, and I remember coming home after Bible school, so filled richly, the best, how would I say, the, like I'd, had, I'd been on my mountaintop, and now I come back into this valley one more time. And it was always a valley for me. And I remember I used to make a statement, you know how the Bible calls it, they were going to the land filled with milk and honey. I used to call it the land filled with uh, metal and money. It was just, that was my way of seeing it. But I remember over time, one of the struggles, the deepest struggles of my life was my self-pity. I didn't see it as pride, but it was. And I remember when he would yell at me and he would say things, even if he didn't yell, but he, by the way that he talked, it made me feel like I was so little, so little. I remember sometimes he'd get so mad that he'd pull his teeth out so he could yell better. That was, it was hard because he didn't have his teeth to whistle through, but somehow that was his way of... But you know, it didn't matter. Even as funny as that would seem, it was so hard for me to take that. And I think that was just my childhood growing into that. And I remember the Holy Spirit. I remember the Lord. You know, when you're a praying person, God finds a way to get into your heart. And I remember getting there just why, as always, Lord, I don't, I'm struggling with this, this thing of humility. And I remember God said, your problem is your self-pity. Because every time He tells you something, you're not listening to Him. And I remember the Lord, instead of comforting me, He was maturing me. And as a young man, I began to start seeing that, and I started to develop where I'd listen to Him, and I knew I didn't hear Him, so I'd say, hey, could you repeat that again? And then I started, after I started hearing Him better, I started repeating back to Him what He said to make sure that I got it right. I remember He'd be up in the crane, it was so loud. And it was one of these old things that you thought was 2,000 leagues under the sea and somehow they pulled it up and let us work with the thing. It was crazy. Flathead engine, paint almost all gone, rusted out, and yet still running. I don't even know how. We spent most of our time working on the machine rather than working with it. But here he was on this thing. It was just loud as ever could be. And I'd be down there just about like where you are. And he'd be pointing out, this is what I want you to do. And, and I could tell he wanted me to... Pick, pick out this piece of metal out of the whole stack of stuff that was there, and I wasn't quite cluing into what he wanted. And then he would start yelling at me, but I learned through this. Instead of taking and getting blistered by what he said, I started becoming wise because I started letting go of self-pity. And I remember I would get up, I would, if I couldn't get it in just a few seconds, I'd run up to the crane, I'd get up there right next to him in front of him, and I'd say, what did you say? 
And you could see it was like, it was frustrating because he didn't want, he didn't like that, but it was better than me not knowing. Then he would tell me, and then I could get it, and I could go do my job. Well, this is just a few of the many things that I remember just starting to scathe and deal with some problems resulting inside of me. But I, I would say this, over that 10-year span of time, I had a man that I dreaded to go to work, and I dreaded to serve, and I started loving him. And I started having respect for him. And I started seeing him in a new light. And I started gaining his respect. And I can say I live to some degree what Joseph did when it says that he found favor and he served him and he made him overseer. And here I was a young man and as I started continued on, he ended up having a severe burn which put him out of, it put him out of business pretty much. Well, he was still having business, but he couldn't do it. And because of that, somebody had to run the job site. And I had learned over the years how to do that well. I was no business owner. I wasn't a business-minded man. I didn't run it like completely, but he furnished the money. I took care of the customers. And, and I made sure that things were being taken care of as far as his employees were concerned. But it was a hard job from beginning to end. But my... Yeah, some people thought, yeah, that was going to become the next Emory. They were like, oh, here's the next. And, and that wasn't the Lord's plan for me. But here's something that I have struggled with, I have seen. Because of this issue, we have allowed ourselves to become slaves to people and our pride has kept us from being able to serve instead of. And as I watch it happen, I watch especially men become exceedingly proud. And when it comes to the church and the body of Christ, Jesus' number one problem is pride. Pride. And so I didn't realize at the time it wasn't Bible school that was going to do me so good. It wasn't all that. It was the fact that I had to learn how to submit to Jesus in the face of a man that was difficult. I had to learn that. And I had to learn over time what it means to have the Lord turn my heart with love and respect and honor for Him. And I could say there's a lot of things that I found difficult, but I did have. And one of the sweetest things I remember hearing Him say to me was, because He used to just micromanage everything I did. And I remember hearing Him say, you know what, I'm going to go so you can get some work done. Finally, we had come to this new stage where he, he knew, he could see, you're better off without me. And then we had almost flipped roles to where I would be on the crane and he would be down on the ground. And he wasn't picking up metal the same way. He was just kind of observing. But he had this way of getting in the way of what I was doing. And so here he was down on the ground and I'm, I'm running the magnet and he would run the magnet right by us. I can't tell you how many times that thing would swing right next to me. And how many of you have the kind of faith or guts or courage, whatever you want to call it, to have a magnet that the moment it touched you, it'd probably kill you. This thing's swinging by you by an 80-year-old man running a crane. But I remember we had switched the roles, and here he was. And I remembered thinking to myself, when I was down there, it always scared me that you did that. You are not, I will never do that to you. That's the way I felt. So I told him, Emery, 
I drop the magnet. I say, you got to get out of the way or I'm not doing this. I'm not doing it. Now, when I was, when I was first working for him, you would, he would have never taken that from me. For me to tell him I'm not doing this, that's a no-go. And I had learned something had softened in his heart as God had recreated my own. And that needs to happen under the, uh, the power of the Gospel of Jesus. And to watch these roles flip and how there was this new respect built, this new way of looking at each other over time. Never would I have dreamed in my life. Well, I ended up in Bible school, and I remember there was a few guys. Boy, things were rough at the beginning. But God had cultivated something in me to redo again with somebody else what had already been done with him prior to. See, we're never going to get past it if we don't start it now. So I want to take you into Exodus about the slavery. Exodus chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. Exodus chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. You might turn there on the slide there. There we are. I wanted to make it bold for you so that way you could see it. <clears throat> so the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. You know, as I share that story with you, I, I want to say so much more, but I'm just going to leave it at that. There's so much that took place. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar, in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. And all their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. See, Moses was beginning to talk to um, and preach to Pharaoh that it's time to let the people go. And when Pharaoh heard it, it was the opposite from his way of thinking. I'm going to make it harder. So he did. But what we have to keep in mind as we read this is that the service is imposed on slaves. But I want you to hear this thought. A slave at heart is the one who goes through life doing what must be done, hating it, because their perspective is altered by disappointment. A slave at heart is the one who goes through life doing what they must what must be done hating it because their perspective is altered by disappointment we may not realize this but whether it's prior to Jesus or even sometimes for Christians disappointment begins to get into life and then we find ourselves doing what we do, but not because we want it, not because we like it, but we look at the life as a whole, and I hate what I have to go through. But I guess this is what life is serving me. And you live long enough in that disappointment, and you don't pay attention to what it's done to you personally. They view everything pessimistically because life has robbed them of their dreams and hopes. Some of us started life, things were going great, and then something happened, and life went down, down the hole, and it's not recovered since. Or we've, we remember the recovery, but we remember what it was like down in there. But when we got there, we were pessimistic. 
Because what we just got fed, we just got used to getting fed that. And we just figured, this is what I'm going to get from now on. And over time, this is what happens. That we learn to compromise our morals and develop as a result of it bad judgment. And that bad judgment prejudices us toward purity. And the purity is not, will my life change and make me happy? The purity is that whether my life changes or not, I'm going in the right direction. Because here's the thing, we become slaves and we stay in slavery because we want life to change rather than our heart to change. Because when I was there working for Emory, a lot of times it would be like this cloud of, Lord, it feels like you're just making life harder for me. It doesn't feel like God loves me. It doesn't feel like God cares for me. But God's got, I've got a lesson for you. And life, you're going to have to change. Your heart is going to have to change. A slave at heart, heart tends toward relationships with people that gravitate in the same misguided direction. So what you notice is in their life, if we become a slave, that not only are we robbed by the circumstances we're we in, but we have a way of thinking that we've developed with that. And with that way of thinking, we get a surrounding of people that come within that sphere. And I remember when I got saved, it was like I started seeing a whole, it was like a whole different race of people that came into my life. I was like, alcoholism, and my dad, alcoholic, my dad's friends, alcoholics, my mom, um, wrong boyfriends after a divorce, and uh, gamblers, you know, like, it was just, this was my way of life, it's just everything was this travesty of people that were just constantly in here, and the kinds of friends I had, I remember, I ended up having a friend, and he was, a, he was supposed to be a Christian kid, he went to church, but oh boy, he was not Christian in life. And so the people that I had in my life at the time were pretty, pretty much helping produce inside of me what was already there. So then when I turned my heart to Jesus, new people came into play. And I started having new friends. And I started having a new way of life. And I realized, wow, whatever, what was old has passed away and all has become new. And it was beautiful that I didn't know when I wasn't saved. I didn't know these people existed. I didn't know they were out there. I didn't know there was a beautiful, faithful, this man telling about his conversion and his love for his wife and seeing, no, it was like there was this contrast. They didn't have arguments. I like, I, wow, you're finally a man working on his car that doesn't cuss when things go wrong. I just saw a new vision of a different kind of breed of people and I wanted to be a part of what I was seeing. And so I wanted to be. And so I lost friends. Praise God, right? I lost friends. I mean, I wanted them to come, but I lost some friends. And it wasn't a heartache to me. I wasn't broken. But I was like, you're leading me down the wrong path. And if you'll come, that's great. But if not, I had a really good friend of mine that we separated and our paths went a totally different direction. And later on in life, we came back together. And I watched him turn his life over to God. We sat there and burned rotten books and magazines that didn't mean anything. I watched him give his life to Jesus, re-surrender his life to God, and it was great to be in his company and just be a part of what the Lord was doing. And so I think in some way that some people started to look at my life as I didn't know the breed of person you are existed. 
because it didn't at one time. Here we have Jesus speaking about this, about the relationships in Matthew chapter 15, verses 13 through 14. If you can just get that on the slide there. Matthew 15, verses 13 through 14. Oh, you know what? Actually, I put that there later, so that's all right. It's not on the slide. So you'll have to turn there. <laughs> Matthew 15, 13 through 14. Let them alone, Jesus said. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into the ditch. But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. This is the thing that you see. Jesus is speaking about the slavery issue of the relationships I have in my life are just the blind leading the blind, and I'm falling into the same ditch that they are. Though Joseph had no power to make Egypt anything different for himself than it was for the children of Israel, God did. Just remember that. Though Joseph didn't have the power to make this any different. And I want you to take into consideration there in Genesis 39 verse 1. It says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. He wasn't voluntarily going. He wasn't planning on this. But even in that circumstance, Potiphar bought him as a slave. He was going to treat him as a slave. And Joseph's life was going to look like a slave, except God had a different plan. And Joseph was getting the revelation of that plan and becoming the product of what God was making him. Number two, not only was he bought as a servant, but slavery develops in us the mentality of bondage when freedom is possible. Slavery develops in us a mentality of bondage when freedom is possible. Do you hear that? I believe that God has tried many, many times in our lives prior to us finding the way to get our attention, to show us what freedom looks like, but we missed it. And I want you to think about a couple reasons why. Here we see the Hebrew slaves. Oh, actually, let's go to Exodus chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. We're going, to take the, we're going to take a little bit of contrast, get a little bit away from Joseph, but come back to Joseph here. Exodus chapter 5, verses 20 through 21. And we just see the slavery worked out in their lives, but here's one of the aspects of it. Slavery develops a mentality of bondage when freedom is possible. Then as they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, Let the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. Do you know what they were talking about? They were just talking about how Moses had gone to Pharaoh and said, Let my people go. And Moses said, Not on your life. We're just going to make this harder. And so as he made it harder, basically this was the outcome of what it felt like by the slaves. And they looked at Moses and they said, what you've done 
by trying to tell Mo, uh, Pharaoh what God wants to happen in our life, what you've done is just made our lives more miserable. And they're not angry at Pharaoh, they're angry at Moses. Man, that's a powerful observation. And that is the slave mentality. And here is what we see. The slave mentality is revealed by a resistance to freedom that comes with a cost and our willingness to tolerate bondage at a minimum. So what we want is we want freedom that doesn't come with sacrifice or cost or I have to give up or I have to have or I lead a new life or any of those kinds of things. And so when we see the cost of freedom, we, we fight against that more than we do about bondage at a minimum. I remember a guy when I was working with uh, here, here in Enterprise. Was, there was a guy that we were working with. And I remember uh, I would try and do good for him. And one of the situations that we had was he had told me he wasn't going to come to work because he didn't have a lunch. That's kind of odd, right? You're going to miss a whole day's wages for what lunch? So I did the, the next thing. As weird as that seemed to me, I was like, well, let's help you out of your excuse finding and help you work your way into a lunch and a good day of work because I know you could use the money. And so I said, well, what if I buy lunch for you? And he said, no, I can't do that. He was so humble that he couldn't take lunch from me. He said, you've already done enough for me. So I can't. Well, I said, well, okay, well, let's help you out of your excuse. I didn't say that to him, but that's how I felt, was to let me help you out of the excuse level again. Why don't I get you lunch, and then you pay me back when you get your paycheck? Nope, can't do that either. And what I discovered is, is that he preferred to not come to work that day. And I wondered what the deal was, but I had decided for myself, I guess he doesn't want to come to work. But I think this fits the idea here is the slave mentality is a resistance toward freedom just to tolerate a minimum amount of bondage. And we need to quit doing that. We need to quit tolerating in our lives something. Brothers and sisters, if you've got something in your life and you're like, I should be, I don't, I need to, stop tolerating it. Can I say that? Can, is there a reason why? I like some, of, some people, and I've watched it, they've tolerated something in their life. They're like, Lord, deliver me. And I feel like the Lord's like, well, the door's open. Would you just walk through it? The idea of freedom is attractive, but it is also foreign. Think about that. The idea of freedom is attractive, but it's also foreign. Some people go with what is familiar because change is uncomfortable. Why do we stay slaves? Because to do what I need to do is uncomfortable. Not just costly, but it's uncomfortable. I'm not going to like the way this feels. Slavery comes with benefits. I know you weren't thinking like I was going to say that, but it does. Slavery comes with benefits, and one of those benefits is pessimism. Doesn't have to be disappointed when bad things happen. If you're pessimistic enough, bad things happen, you're like, I don't care. I don't give a care. I don't give a care. I don't have to care. I like this saying, it says, borrow money from a pessimist, you won't ask for it back. See, the I don't care mentality comes from slavery. 
And I don't care. I don't have to try. No responsibilities required. I don't have to be responsible. And something I realize, people who care feel burdened. They feel the weight of responsibility on their shoulders. I, rem- I, I have had that so many different times, and I know I'm speaking into this crowd as something you guys know. You're, I feel like somebody's depending on me. I need to be better than this. I can't just stay in bed today. I love this, another one here. I am staying home today. I have mood poisoning. Yeah, not food poisoning. I have mood poisoning. Isn't that true? We get this feeling, I'm just going to stay home because I've got problems with the way that I'm feeling today. But when you're in slavery, you give in to that. You give in to any excuse will be a good enough excuse to do nothing or do very little or to stay in the bondage. And you tolerate bondage at a minimum when Jesus has an opportunity for freedom. But you've got to take it at Jesus' cost. We've got to surrender to it. So when I look at the story of Joseph, I'm seeing somebody who didn't buy into slavery. He didn't buy into the mentality that he looks at me as a slave, he treats me as a slave, I guess I'm a slave. He doesn't see my value, so I guess I'm valueless. They don't understand what I've done and they don't have the appreciation for it, so I'm not important. And you've got to realize, in order to get beyond the threshold that he was dealing with, he had to get out of the slave mentality. See, you can be in a slave situation, but you don't have to be a slave in the situation. So important. The contrast of godly service. That Joseph was bought as a slave, but lived as a servant. I want you to look at Genesis 39 verse 4 one more time. Genesis 39, verse 1, verse 4. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. Genesis 39, 4. You know, I was just shortly after this, you meet with Joseph's wife. <laughs> Joseph meets Potiphar's wife. I'm sorry. Joseph meets Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife has this plan for him. You know what I'm talking about. But Joseph finally got to the place. He answered her and he said, How can I do this wickedness and sin against God? And I started thinking about that and I thought, Was this a temptation to him? See, a lot of times the sermons wrapped around that story is you see the temptation and he pulled away from the temptation, but was it? And this was my thought is, is that when I listened to what Joseph said and he said, how can I do this wickedness and sin against God? He didn't have the mentality, the slave mentality. Well, I guess if I sin, I can just ask God for forgiveness. That's a slave mentality. And Jesus didn't die to let you stay there. Nor me. But as I thought about that, I thought, I wonder if, and I felt like this was a highlight from my time just meditating about it, I wonder if Joseph thought, I don't want that for you. I wouldn't want you to be unfaithful to your husband. I don't want it for me. I don't want it for you. 
I don't want it for him. I don't want it. Not only that, but what I do want for God is I want you in the center of God's will. Right now, you're trapped in a lust storm that you don't even understand. And I am not going to feed it because I'm free. I'm not a slave. I'm not drawn in. I don't feel the enticement toward. I don't want to be in this thing. And it tells us later on in the story that he had gone into the house and there was no man. If he had had any desire whatsoever, he would have had his perfect opportunity. But he didn't even take a bat of an eye at it. I love that. Because I think that sometimes we get the idea that we have to tell each other, you know what, God understands if you keep failing. And God loves us enough to help us through that. But God loves us more than that. How many can say amen to that? Help me with that one, please. God loves us more than that. He doesn't want His children tripping and falling over constantly and asking for forgiveness, and that's their lifetime experience of the Christian life. Jesus had something more. And He's like, I made you more than conquerors through Him who loved you and gave you. You don't have to look at a woman to lust after her. You don't have to fall into the trap of pride and just anger for men. You don't have to fall into this thing of vanity for the women. You don't have to do that. You don't even have to have a desire toward it because you are mine and you belong to me and I've become yours and you're not a slave and you don't have a slave mentality. Here you're set free. I love this because I feel like it's my responsibility to tell some people, I understand where you're at in life, but I know God has something very special if you will seek His face. Don't give in to those emotions. So Joseph found favor and served him. I wanted to remind you here of something that was in a past sermon of honoring freedom. It was a couple of years ago on the 4th of July. The servant heart at heart is compelled by love. The servant at heart is compelled by love. Not by duty. Not because I have to serve. Not because I have to, but because I love. God's love. So here's what I want to share with you. Good freedom is to bear one another's burdens. It is a mutual care that is shared proportionate to our ability to give. If you don't have the ability to give, it's not required. Freedom is not hindered, please listen to this, or determined by our own losses for the sake of relieving others. You didn't lose out because you lost something to help others. It is actually measured by our ability to discern the virtue of caring for others and rather or not the personal sacrifice that we must make to do so is imposed by fear or compelled by love. Though we often represent love as the sacrifice that one makes to help someone else, yet when those sacrifices are motivated by something less than intrinsic virtues, we are in essence violating the true law of love, which is freedom. When I started working in that salvage yard, I was a slave. When I stopped working, I was a free man. I was free. Because I had learned over the process of time, as God cultivated purity inside of me, that the things and the ways that I looked at that place were a complete perversion of the way God saw things. 
And I had to get the scales from off of my eyes. The scales of pride and the scales of self and the scales of self-centeredness and the scales of me and me and me. And that was just thrust inside of me because of my alcoholic upbringing. Because I had been so used to a life without the impression of God's Spirit inside of me that I had become a master slave. And I didn't know what it meant to be free. And so as God was introducing freedom through the power of the cross, it wasn't because I said a one-time prayer. It was because that one-time prayer began to manifest something for the first time that I'd never had in my life. And now I'm getting this new thing in God. And so I begin to reach out more for the Lord to do that in my life. Does that mean there I wasn't confronted with my pride? Oh man, was I confronted with my pride. Does it mean that I had had it all figured out in one whack? No. But I saw the Lord humbling me and humbling me and humbling me. And then there was a new satisfaction. See, I wanted to leave that place many times. And finally, when it happened, it was a matter of being released. Being released. Too many people are in a hard place and they, they leave. They don't get released because they're slaves and they're not free. When we're free, we're released. Because God says it's time to go. It's time to go. Becoming a true servant is the only way we can be free from the slavery. Now listen to this. You didn't think this was coming. Free from the slavery of doing good. Oh, man. And I want you to hear this thought. You need to hear this thought here. Morally speaking, we are obligated to do good. That's why we become slaves to it. But intrinsically speaking, we are not fit unless we are at heart a servant made by God. You see this need, God, like this moral call. I have to do what's good or it's evil for me not to do it. But I'm, not, I'm still a slave in my spirit, so I'm going to become a slave to doing good. I need recognition. I need self-approval. I need to feel good about me. And all of those things get locked in. And the best way to get that, folks, is to do good. Because you get appreciated and you're loved and people care about you. And you get to be admired. But that becomes the new idolatry to our lives until we become free servants of Jesus. So if intrinsically what's really at heart is how I can feel better about me, we miss the whole mark, and how can we glorify God? Matthew 23, verse 28, he says, Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. See, this is the bad of things look good for whatever reason, but it's not good as far as God intended it. And why not? God wanted to marry us not only to good morals, he wanted to marry us to the spirit of his own heart. And this, the heart of God is not to do good for what God is going to get from it. The heart of God is to do good, to bless without selfishness added. I don't have to get money for this. I don't have to have recognition. Now we can say, our, say that to ourselves, but as long as you're a slave, you'll say it the rest of your life and never get out from under it. Joseph was not just a servant, but a God-made servant. 
A grace birth servant, I love that, a grace birth servant mentally sees nothing and no one as an obstacle to the freedom of loving Jesus back. But you know, they, they always make it hard on me. Then love like Jesus said love. See, the problem is, is that sometimes people in our lives, and this is the way that I felt sometimes there, was that you're making it hard for me to want to sing to God. That's the slave at heart, not the man. We become that way because we allow our circumstances to dictate for us what God meant is better. When we see things God's way, Jesus says it like this. Remember the room when Jesus walked in? And, they, and he said, the girl, she's just sleeping. And they started to laugh him. It says, laugh him to a scorn. And Jesus sends them out the door. You guys are slaves. Because you can't see things my way. This whole thing on, on the surface looks like it's melted down to death. Looks like it's beyond the chance of hope. And I'm trying to tell you that I am the resurrection and the life. You're missing something. Get out of the room if you're going to stay a slave. But if you're going to let the freedom of God in your life, then at all costs, listen to Jesus. Do not pay attention to what's going on around you. Listen to Jesus. Man, this is a good sermon. <laughs> you know, the preacher needs this too. I'm, I'm just soaking it up. I really am. Godly servants need a potiphar. Godly servants need a potiphar. Someone whose principles in life serve the ideals of slavery, but need the genuine service of God's people. Did you get that? We need the Potiphar's. We need the ones whose lives serve this idea of slavery so that I can serve you, that I can show you what this new life in Jesus looks like and invite you into it. I can only imagine what Joseph looked like to Potiphar. Everything you touch in my home is like it's your own. You care for it as if you possessed it. You do with it everything that I would want done and maybe even better. So much so that the Bible tells us that there, he didn't even pay attention to anything that Joseph was touching. And I think that's such a remarkable revelation of Man, when I'm free at heart, when I'm really free, I don't have to worry about taking what God has given to me and distorting it to self-serving ends. God, I'm going to sweetly embrace and love and cherish everything you give with humility packed in to this whole thing so that I can be a faithful servant of God. And in the end of this, and I had to think a little bit because I stopped. And I was like, okay, so what was the will of God here? What was the will of God in the whole story of Joseph? Did the will of God start at the end of his life? That the whole will of God was about what he was taking him to? So everything justifies where I'm taking you. So you get to be a slave so I can get you to make you a prince. And I think some of us have that mentality. And I would say, you know what, there's something about this that's remarkable. I think we stop thinking about the will of God and we just start thinking about God. 
Lord, I don't know. I can't divide all of it. I can't figure it all out. I can't figure out what you permitted and what you chose and all of it because if you permitted it, it turned out really good because you had worked all things together for your good. All I know is that when I'm in the center of who you are, I don't miss out one bit. Even the travesties ended up to be some of the greatest things that I hold on to with precious weight. So in the end, God used a servant prince to alter the events of the world. A servant prince. Just a you and me, right? Just a you and me, but he did something so significant in a you and me that he could alter the world events without us messing it up, <laughs> without us infringing on our own. And that's where you look at the life of Joseph and it's like there's this lack of obscurity between his will and God's will. He just seemed to seamlessly work his way into. And you know what I love? And I want you to capture this. I want you to go back through chapter 39. I want you to read and mark and highlight or whatever you got to do, how many times it says God was with him. God was with him. God was with him. God was with him. That is so remarkable and such an important part of this whole thing. I want to share something. I feel like, I feel like for me in the moment, I just love to take these moments to pray. The altar is at times a place to, how would I say, uh, confess something before God. But friends, I don't think you, I don't think we as a church have entered into. I think what God wants at this altar, what He wants to do in your lives and in my life at the altar. This isn't be saying, hey, I see a bunch of slaves in this room. I think all of us have been touched with that in one way or another. But what I see here is I see a bunch of saints that are hungry for the Lord to enter into this room in a very special way for us. And I want you to hear me very carefully. We can, we can end this service just taking communion. We can end this service taking communion and lose an opportunity to in intensely seek the Lord. We can go about our lives, whatever we've chosen, and miss an opportunity to intensely seek God. You know what? Maybe this is the thing. I don't know what I need to seek God for. Then seek God. This is our opportunity to love Him. If this sermon, in a sense, and this service has touched you in any way, I think the best thing we can say is, Lord, thank you for the anointing to be able to, for me to receive that. But I'm inviting you I'm inviting you to intensely seek the Lord right now. Ask the Lord to get into some of the nitty-gritty places that feel like they're impossible for you and let Him have His way. God is gracious, and I want to say this because I feel like I feel like this impressed from my heart. If you're going through something right now, let's it end right now. You know, when I was saying that, that that's God's long-term work, but what's His short-term right now? God wants to release us right now in this moment. Release us. And the power of God's presence can do that in an instant. What the devil has taken years to get a hold of in our lives, God can right here at this altar. God can right here at this altar, right today. He can take it out of your life. He can take it out of your heart and give you something new. So please hear me. All of us get a new opportunity for new freedom, not just freedom, but new freedom right now. And we could miss you know, a new chance with God. And I think the Lord is inviting us today.
So what we're, I'm not going to ask for the worship team to come up, but I'm going to have Isaac play the music in the background lightly. There's just something soothing about the worship as I'm listening to it, as I'm trying to make time with God. And all I'm asking for, I think this is all that God is saying to us, is would you just come with your heart? That's all he wants. Share with him however you want to say it, but just come with your heart. If all of us want to get up and come, we'll find a place for it, I'm sure. But just come forward. It's, it, and I look at it like this, and I feel like this is the way the Lord leads it, is when we come forward, no, there's not, yes, God is here, but we're saying I'm coming forward to you, Lord, because I'm giving it to you. If you're feeling that pressure on your heart, please do so. Please, don't miss that moment. The Holy Spirit's going to bathe you the moment you step into the water. And he's going to let you know what it means to be recomforted, refilled, and retouched um, by the power of God's Spirit. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask Isaac to do that. We're going to have an altar call. And then shortly after that, then we'll take communion. But that way, we're ready for communion. We're ready to take it. God is good. God is so good to us. Father, I want to thank you this morning, leading up into the, the moment, the events right now, and what I find here is this. There's a pressure here. Jesus, I sense there's a pressure here. Would God do that for me? Can I have a moment with you, Lord, where it's holy? Where it's like nobody else is there and it's just me and you, Lord. And you're defining and redefining things in my life. So that I can walk with you, Jesus, and all of us, Lord. I don't think any of us are not walking with you. But not a one of us here feel like we're there perfectly. And Jesus, all we're asking right now, Lord, right now, for those who are just responding, however they respond, Lord, I'm asking you to take away some more of that imperfection in our hearts and lives and help us love you with deeper purity and new purity. Father, we ask you right now in Jesus' name, Lord, would you take over this time and this service and fill our hearts? I want, Lord, what everybody else here does, I want you, Lord, to overfill me. I want you to overpour into my life. Jesus, this is our moment. We're asking you to do it right now. Would you come forward right now as Isaac plays that music? Would you come forward and let the Lord touch you? You don't know what you're missing if you don't. You don't know what you're missing if you don't.